What? Cracking big dose. Welcome, Bike, to the channel. Welcome, Bike, to the headquarters. We are live. We are live right now on YouTube, free, unencumbered, raw. I'm going to keep it a zillion with you right now. I don't feel great. I'm not feeling good. I think I'm coming up with a case of, uh, you know, I'm not going to put any ideas out there into the universe because before you know it, I'll have 32 diagnoses. What? Are we still live? Something happened with my connection. Bark twice if we're still live. Yeah, I think we're still live. Bet. All right. All right. All right. Fucking man is trying to hold me down. I'm already dealing with a sickness. We are down with the sickness. We are down. Everybody's fucking down this week. The, 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 the fucking theme of the week is injuries. And I guess it's fitting that I'm injured. So you're getting Hoodie Nick. You remember Hoodie Mellow? You don't want to see Hoodie Mellow. You don't want to see Hoodie Nick. This is what we're getting today. There's about 272 injuries. And I'm a doctor. This is why you come here for me. I pulled a hammy. I fucking pulled the hammy this weekend. I didn't even do anything. I didn't leave my couch. That's a lie. I left my couch a lot. Whoo! Okay. Week two. Week two brought a lot of terrible things. Um, week two brought shame. It brought misery. It brought hamstrings, tendons, tears, all of the worst stuff you could possibly bring upon football players except for being drafted onto animals team it brought so i'm gonna try my best to roll down through the injuries how i'm feeling about them what i'm doing with these players what i'm doing with their backups how much fab i'm about to spend if you walk away with tomorrow's waiver wire and still have money left in your fab we are not the built this we are we are just not built the same okay I cannot wait to have zero fab left in any of my in any of my leagues, so I don't have to worry about the waiver wire ever again. I don't even want to pick up players. I might just like throw the money out on the street and be like, I don't want anyone on my team. Because it's a pain in the ass dealing with waiver wire money. But lo and behold, everybody's dead and we need to talk about who to pick up. So we are going to start with uh the number one and two overall picks in fantasy drafts thus year. So you draft to Saquon, you draft to C Mac. You you might not if you draft the Saquon you're probably fucked because he hasn't really done much. You draft the C Mac you're not fucked because he dropped like a 25 spot in both weeks, and his injury is a little bit less significant. I mean, if you heard the fantasy football counselor's video yesterday, then you would believe that Saquon's injury for some reason is less significant than an ankle sprain. But I don't know what kind of drugs that guy's on. Whatever it is, I I might text him and see if I can get some. Saquon Barkley tears his ACL. He also messed up other ligaments within his knee. And this is a, a, a minor concern because it happened early on in the year. So typically we get a little bit nervous about guys who have their ACLs torn midway later into the season um, because the recovery, you know, is somewhere from nine to 12 months and shit gets um, a little dicey going into the next year. Now with, with the type of tear that Saquon had, it one is going to require multiple weeks of rest and relaxation before the swelling goes down so they can even operate on it. Okay. So y'all really think I'm out here not being a whole ass doctor. I am. Okay. They need to wait for the swelling to go down. So 
Next year, when we're looking back and saying, okay, Saquon's one year removed from the ACL, not exactly true. So if it's a week two ACL tear, you know, we're looking more at like week five or six-ish because they need to let the swelling go down and they need to rehab and they need to fix a, a multiple plethora of other of other things within the knee. So it, it's it's a shitty, shitty situation for Saquon. If you're in Dynasty, I have one Dynasty League, which I started this year, and I have Saquon. He was the 102 or the 103, whatever. I picked early. I picked Saquon. And um, I'm 2-0 in the league. So I'm in a predicament where like that obviously hurts me a lot, right? You need that elite fantasy stud running back to really compete. And I'm probably going to be sending out offers uh, with Saquon in them to, to, to get him off my team, unfortunately. So I'll see if I can get some kind of... Uh, by the way, guys, I'm going to run through this entire like thing i'm probably about to be out here for 45 minutes to an hour and then hopefully i can i can grab some q a so if i could see like super chats popping up but if, if you're going to be paying me via super chat for a question answered i probably won't get around to it so save your money save your real money now spend your fab money tomorrow all right unless you just want to support the brand which is cool uh also like if you're going to super chat you could always just sign up for patreon and get all the perks right there patreon.com slash bdge so Behind Saquon, we had Deion Lewis come in, right? Deion Lewis took basically all the snaps. I, I believe it was every single snap at the running back position. It was because Wayne Gallman was a healthy scratch before the game. That is why Deion Lewis came in and put up a miserable 10 for 20. He was involved in the passing game, obviously, because that's like his specialty, right? So what Deion Lewis does. He's like this little guy, catches the ball. He can't really find him out in space, and he makes plays that way. He is not the guy that they want in between the tackles, though. Wayne Gallman will be playing next week. And a lot of the reports this offseason we're talking about, you know, if Saquon, if something happened to Saquon, what would the Giants do? And they they pretty much talk about how they'd rely pretty heavily on a guy like Wayne Gallman. He's bigger. He's, you know, more fit for that in between the tackles role. Deion Lewis is still going to be involved, but he's not, you know, Deion Lewis was fun once upon a time. He's not, he's not fun anymore. Okay. He's old. He's old. He's not explosive. And, uh, and I don't really want Wayne Gallman either. He's not, he's not a good running back either. And this is an offense and they're looking at Devonta Freeman. I don't know if there's any update on, on anything serious in terms of negotiations there, but tells you that they're not completely confident in Wayne Gallman. They want to use a committee. We'll put it that way. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it. So I don't want any of these three running backs, assuming Devonta Freeman signs here. If you want to throw a zero, if this is what I'll do. Maybe I'll throw a $0 bid out on all three guys and see who I get. But I will not be the one spending money, spending fab on the Deion Lewis's or the Wayne Gallman's or the Devonta Freeman's, okay? Um, it, it's, a, it's a gross situation. You're never going to know who to start. And this is not like an ideal backfield, man. This is not an ideal spot in which you'll feel confident starting any of these dudes. So... That is my piece on, on on Saquon and his backups and whatever the fuck's going on in New York. It is it is not a fun situation to be a part of right now for fantasy. C-Mac. C-Mac has the high ankle sprain, okay? He came out and basically said it was four to six weeks, and that kind of ignited a lot of panic. Now, again, I do a lot of research. This is why I came out Tuesday instead of Monday because there's a lot of shit going on. Sometimes I'll do these live streams on Monday, as you saw last week, depending on how prepped I am for them, but... Too much shit happened this weekend for me to be properly equipping y'all with the big facts on a Monday, right? Too much, too much stuff. C-Mac came out four to six weeks. And now that ignited a whole bunch of problems. But I have listened. I have soaked in. I have marinated myself with 
the thoughts of, of, of people that understand ankle sprains a lot more than I do. He said four to six weeks, but if you've looked back over the last few years, you almost never, ever, ever see guys with high ankle sprains really miss more than three weeks. It's usually back on the field within two to three weeks. I think it's what we'll see with Michael Thomas, which I'll get into in a little later. But C-Max out here talking about four to six weeks. I feel like he just made that shit up. I feel like it's just a random timeline. He said he's going to try to get back earlier. And I think he will get back earlier. The problem with a guy like C-Mac when you get back earlier, or any of these players when they get back earlier, because they all do end up pushing themselves to get back on the field in about three weeks, is their performance tends to dip. But even the guys like last year, like Saquon and Alvin Kamara, their performance dipped, but the volume was still was still there, right? So it's not like the season is over for C-Mac. It's not like the season was over for those guys. And yes, they'll get stronger as they rehab a little bit more and as they get time to rest and as the season goes on. But the first few games back, probably the first month or so back, you're playing you know, on a busted wheel a little bit. That being said, though, if they're going to give C-Mac 20 touches, he'll still be a low-end RB1 when he does return. So depending on the severity, I mean, we know it's like, you know, semi-severe because normally when an ankle sprain happens, you know, the coach will say, oh, you know, it's like week to week or whatever. Right. And then it kind of drags on for a long time. But when a player comes out immediately and says four to six weeks, like a little bit concerning, but I, I do think he'll be back on the field in about three weeks. He'll see the workload that he was accustomed to getting might not be as uh, efficient because he probably won't have that breakaway speed to complement what he does in all facets of the game. But uh, C-Mac's not a guy I'm, I'm necessarily fretting about I, I will say I do have C-Mac in one redraft league and I did send out a couple offers offers that I probably wasn't going to fucking get any any actual feedback from but I sent I sent offers out uh because you know again like I'm 2-0 in the league that I have C-Mac in and if you put yourself in a position where like you know even if you go 2-1 and one or 1-2 one and two over the next few weeks after starting 2-0 you're still very much in the playoff hunt um if you get rid of C-Mac though you can probably continue your winning streak so like pushing him for a guy I, I almost think like getting uh some of these buy low candidates which I'll talk about later like Kenyon Drake's a guy I would love to buy low on right now um some you know you can't really buy Miles Sanders anymore of course Miles motherfucking Sanders because he kind of broke out last week but if you could push him for like a low-end RB1 that you think is going to continue to improve over the next month of the season and maybe like a back-end wide receiver too, or if you're in a 2-0 position where you have a little bit of leverage where you can have Christian McCaffrey sit, I think he'll be fine in a few weeks. So um, there are a lot of different ways to move about this. Now, what happens behind Christian McCaffrey? Mike Davis. Mike Davis is this dude that comes in and can pretty much do it all. Pretty much does it all at a very extra medium level, Okay. That, that's the way I would describe him. He's extra medium Mike Davis. He can pass block. He can run. He can catch the ball. And that is what we saw last week. He saw eight fucking targets. He was like, you were basically like, oh, C-Mac didn't get hurt, did he? He's still on the field. You're like, no, that's extra medium Mike. Eight targets. Seven targets in the fourth quarter. You know why? Because his team is consistently in garbage time. That's all they do. Their defense is so fucking bad that by the end of the game, all they're doing is throwing the ball. And a lot of it goes to their running backs. Mike Davis saw seven targets in the fourth quarter. Those seven targets that he saw just in the fourth quarter alone were more in week two than Julio, Robert Woods, DJ Chark, Hollywood Brown, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf saw in their entire games. So make Mike Davis becomes an obvious, obvious must add, right? With Saquon Barkley, 
we don't know what this committee is going to look like, but I'm very, very confident that we're going to see a committee. With Christian McCaffrey, Mike Davis is going to be an 18-touch guy, and I would say that the safer side of things would be betting on him to catch, you know, four to five, maybe six, seven passes a game because of the way this offense is going to have to throw the ball a lot. So Mike Davis becomes a really interesting ad for me, um, as opposed to some of these other guys that we'll talk about in a minute too, because you're looking at like longevity versus kind of a sprint right now. Like Mike Davis is phenomenal pickup for the next few weeks, but once C-Mac is back, of course, he's kind of rele relegated to a zero on your bench, right? So if you are in a pinch right now, and you're looking for a couple wins and you need to fill that RB slot, right? Like you, you, you drafted a couple busts that, that aren't performing earlier on in, in, in your rounds. Uh, Mike Davis is, is like a good feeling that I think can, can get you 12 to 15 points a game for the next two to three weeks. Uh, so he's a must add and he's someone that I would probably throw, um, you know, 20, 30% of the budget on, if not more. If you're a C-Mac owner, yeah, I think you probably have to pay up a little bit because one, you'll be able to fill in the production to a certain extent. But two, one, you, you, I mean, you should have had the fucking backup to begin with, right? You should have been handcuffing. My dumbass didn't handcuff him. And now I'm in a predicament where I'm going to have to spend a lot of fab on him. But uh, if you do, do it now. Like then you'll have the handcuff for the remainder of the year when Christian McCaffrey does come back and pushes himself onto the field too early and puts himself at a higher re-injury risk. X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 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 That game, that game, the Carolina game, man, we had, we had, we have some other wide receivers to talk about in, in that game. Cause this, this video is going to be my recap thoughts on week two, as well as like the waiver wire targets for week three. Cause you know, they're all kind of the fucking same thing. They're all meshed into one beautiful story to tell i don't know, like necessarily we do have the in-depth waiver wire article written up on patreon right now but i think it's kind of boring to do a video of just going through the positions i think it's funner to tell the story of the week and kind of intertwine what you should be doing with your teams within the recap of the week so that's how we're going to be doing these things now dj moore had his bounce bike 13 targets eight receptions 120 yards and Robbie Anderson, man, this dude is balling. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pissed at myself for writing him off because he was someone I really, really, really liked for a long time. And, like, I don't know why I didn't just run the Adam Gase test. Guy's underperforming, very talented. Is he playing under Adam Gase? If the answer is yes, then just wait for him not to be playing under Adam Gase anymore. It's literally just like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat with that theory. Robbie Anderson falls into it, man, and he is bowling. He's currently the wide receiver six in half PPR leagues. I think both of these guys could eclipse 125 targets this year, man. Uh, admittedly, it's it's probably best to lower the ceiling expectations of a guy like DJ Moore because the team is struggling to score through the air consistently. Um, and I think, like, there are some guys that just, you know, you want to talk about fucking positive regression in the touchdown category, but there are some guys that just don't find the end zone, man. It's just not their... It's not their game. Their their teams don't game plan for them in the red zone. They're not good at, you know, separating in tight space. It's just the Julio's, the DJ Moore's. Like after after multiple years, you just kind of have to say, like, yes, maybe they'll get one lucky year. You can't predict touchdowns, but maybe they get one lucky year where it spikes. But I think for the most part, we can predict uh, it not being at an enormous level. So with DJ Moore, I think there's a real possibility he just finishes with four to six touchdowns again. And if you want to get out, now would probably be the time to do so because you can sell him high after last game. I do think with Christian McCaffrey out, though, it affects 
a lot of the players on the team, not necessarily Robbie Anderson. I don't know if he's like this, the, the style of player that would take a lot of the C-Mac targets. I think it's definitely an upgrade for DJ Moore, who's a line of the scrimmage guy and makes plays after the catch. Uh, it's an upgrade for a guy like Curtis Samuel, though I'm not going to get crazy about it. He gets a little bit of the the rushing work and people are going to be, oh, he's going to be like a running back. And it's like, yeah, he'll get like four carries and turn it into fucking 16 yards. But enjoy your like 1.6 fantasy points. So Curtis Samuel, yeah, cute in theory, but I, I, I'd i rather have Mike Davis and all the other guys on this Panthers team before I went and picked up Curtis Samuel. Now, hamstring, hamstring the hamstring bandit. While it took a backseat, it still fucked some lives up this weekend. We have Devontae Adams. Everything out of Green Bay camp is um, on the minor side of this. They're saying it's not a big deal. Like, he probably could have came back into the game, but they didn't need him at the time, so they sat him. I think this is something to keep a very close eye on, uh, on the reports of how Devontae Adams is coming along with his hamstring and if he's practicing this week or not. Obviously not a guy that... Um, needs to practice in order to play because him and Rodgers have been playing together flawlessly for like four years in a row. He knows the playbook and all that shit. I also think it's interesting when guys return from hamstring injuries, they, they, they tend to play a limited role in terms of snap percentages. You see them get on the field, right? They'll be like limited all week and then there'll be a game time decision and they'll play and they'll usually play like 50 to 60% of the snaps. And what you'll typically see is the snaps come in a very curated area of the field, right? Like Mike Evans, the first game where he came into the year with like the hamstring, whatever, and he played limited role in week one. The one catch he had was the touchdown catch. And that's why like I am, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about Devontae Adams. Like I think if you have him, you play him this week, assuming that he does end up playing. If he does play a limited role, it'll probably be in that red zone area, right? And Devontae Adams on five targets, like three or four of them being in the red zone, can turn that into multiple touchdown scores. So Devontae Adams, if he is out, Aaron Aaron Jones might just straight up win people leagues this year, right? Like he like low key might be Christian McCaffrey of last year, this year. Um, and this is absolutely a lesson to me, man. This was just I was I was all over him last year, man. He was like my favorite my favorite player to draft. He's probably my most owned player last year to draft. And then this year, I don't know, man. I guess I just listened to what the Packers were doing, and I kind of like bought into the narrative of what they were doing with the team and drafting fucking A.J. Dillon's fat ass. And, oh, that is a regret. So if you own Aaron Jones, congratulations, because he looks like a fucking league winner in every sense of the word, man. Um, and if you played him last week, I can't imagine you took the L. If you played him in DFS last week, you probably won a lot of money. I, I do not play DFS, but... Um, you know, I, I have a close relationship with Mr. Matt Kelly over at playerprofiler.com. And I know this is only like his second week ever playing, but they have a really, really good DFS. Now, I don't, I don't typically uh, push out DFS type tools and stuff because I don't really know them that well. But I know that after two weeks, one of their lineups hit. They, they have this tool on their website. I'm going to bring it up for you guys right now. If any of you guys are like DFS says, this is a very, very cool tool that you guys can use. Um, let's see where we're at. So the DFS lineup genius. So they, they put it out every Friday before the game. So we can't actually show you, but this is where you would go to get it. And they had a lineup this week that was top 10 in the Millie Maker and brought in almost $8,000 if you used it. So what they do is they spit you out, I believe, 10 optimal lineups for DraftKings and FanDuel. 
And if you just play like each of them, if you play one of them, I'm assuming after fucking week two, they hit top 10 in the Millie Maker, they will have a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of cash weeks. So you put a little bit of money on each of those and you're probably going to come out positive at the end of the year. He's really excited about it. He wanted me to, to, to show it to you guys. And I might fuck around and play some DFS uh, this weekend. I'm not someone who does it normally because I don't, I don't dive into the strategies that often. I know there's a lot of strategy behind it in terms of like how you want to pair players and upside and fucking cash and floor and all those buzzwords I don't really know shit about. But uh, the DFS lineup genius is a very, very cool tool that you guys should probably check out on their website. And it is part of the all-in package that they have with their rankings, which are you know updated all the time. If you have Superflex, tight end premium, all the league types, they do dynasty, season long, weekly, and uh, they're on top of their shit. They're, this is like my favorite website in the interwebs when it comes to fantasy. So in their all-in package, I believe it comes with all the rankings and it comes with the DFS lineup genius. So if you play season long and DFS, this is an easy, easy smash for y'all. Okay, 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 okay. San Francisco 49ers, good Lord, they are fucked. I like how fucked the San Francisco 49ers can be and they still fuck the New York Jets. Like the New York Jets could be at full strength and they wouldn't be as... And they'd be more fucked than the Niners are at like half strength right now. Their entire defense is decimated. Bosa's out for the year. Solomon Thomas out. Like they lose Raheem Oster and they lose Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman's a lot more concerning and just in terms from an injury standpoint. But in terms of like what he brought to your fantasy team, it wasn't fucking anything. So it doesn't really matter at this point. But he's going to miss multiple weeks. They've already come out and said that. So it could be it could be a month. It could be two months at this point. I, I have no idea what's going on with Tevin Coleman. I don't think we have a real update yet. But what this does open up is a lot of touches in a backfield that produces a lot of fantasy points for their running backs. Raheem Mostert, mild MCL sprain. This is an injury that we've seen a lot of running backs deal with over the, uh, over the previous few seasons, and it's not considered to be serious. This is an injury that most of them come back within a week or two weeks, and then it does not really affect them for the remainder of the season. So it's not typically something that lingers for a while as long as you give it proper rest so i actually think raheem moster is somewhat of a buy low candidate right now right if you don't have to give up too much he's got this injury a lot of people are like ah, it's kind of unknown what happens now i think most someone to go out and uh see if you can acquire because again i don't think the injury is very serious and now it's like in the preseason we didn't know what was going to happen to this backfield right and it's not like Mostert's getting a thousand touches or anything but if tevin coleman's injury is serious and he's kind of out of the picture then you like Mostert's outlook a lot more, right? And that's what I think is going to be. I think Mostert's going to come back quickly. I think Coleman is not going to. And now he has a lot of this backfield open to himself. But they're both going to be out for week three, which leaves a guy like Jarek McKinnon to maybe pop off, maybe disappoint. They're going to use a committee there. They always do, and they will continue to do so. Jeff Wilson is probably going to get the goal line work. Jeff Wilson had a fucking four touchdown game last year. Was it four? Or was it three? I don't know what it, whatever it was. It was way too fucking many touchdowns for him to have. A guy named Jeffrey Wilson should never have more than zero touchdowns in a game. But lo and fucking behold, here we are in a committee behind Nick Mullins. That's the other thing here. They're going to have to rely on the running backs pretty heavily against the Giants, right? This is a game that they probably expect to win even without Jimmy G under center. And Jimmy G's looks like shit anyway. So Nick Mullins honestly might be an upgrade at this point. Um, there's They're not going to go into the game with a game plan of using McKinnon as the workhorse. I don't think Shanahan's going to do that, right? Shanahan's been there for a while. McKinnon's been there for a while, but never on the field. So I, I highly doubt they're just going to be like, yeah, we're going to hand the keys to the backfield to Jarek McKinnon off the rip. But 
he is someone who's going to be heavily involved in the passing game. And he is someone who can burst out for a, for a long run, right? We're seeing what Mostert did, and we saw what McKinnon did last week, that 55-yard little touchdown scamper for your boy. So if you had him in your lineup, if you attacked him in best ball in the later rounds of the drafts like we did, um, that was that was nice to see. So I think McKinnon ends up leading the backfield in, in touches. He'll probably see three to four to five targets. And I'm not going to get cute where I'm just like, yeah, he's an RB2 plug and play. I think he is a flex play if you need somebody to fill in. Because, again, they have Nick Mullins running the shit at the quarterback. This team is kind of decimated. Uh, maybe that means the Giants move the ball a little bit more and less time of possession for San Francisco. Overall, it could be a very slow-paced game. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't see a lot of scoring going on in this one, even with the the bad defenses. It's just a not, not a lot of firepower on offense on either side. So uh, McKinnon is a priority add, but I would actually put him below Mike Davis, and I would put him below the next guy that we're going to talk about. That is the Rams' backfield. I'm, I'm pissed, man, because Cam Akers was a dude who, he was an easy buy-low candidate prior to this game. He started the game. I went back and rewatched this one because I wanted to see like what the whole deal was with Darrell Anderson, right? Not a prospect I like coming out of college, really. Cam Akers started this game. He was on there. He was on the field with the starters the first drive. And he looked good, right? They ran the ball um, three or four times with him on the first drive. He was picking up chunk yardage. He was making guys miss. He was he was doing, he was doing good. Uh, they got inside the 10-yard line. Cam Akers got that first carry, and that's when he got hurt. Hurt the little ribbies. Hurt the riblets, okay? Came out and missed the remainder of the game. Let's see if we have any updated news on Cam Akers right now. I don't think it's believed to be very serious. I think it's more of like a pain tolerance thing. Let's see from Adam Schefter. Rams rookie RB Cam Akers separated rib cartilage during Sunday's win. Malcolm Brown fractures left pinky in the same game and underwent surgery Monday to repair it. Rams expect Brown to play Sunday at Buffalo, but are uncertain about Akers, who is now day to day. Okay, so... Uh, Akers, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he's absolutely not playable in week three. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they sat him. I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they did have him active, but use him on like 15 to 20% of, of snaps. If they even do that, I don't know, you know, probably not a real reason to push him at this point. But after Cam Akers went out, man, uh, Malcolm Brown, like was the, for all you guys that like watched the actual game, Malcolm Brown was the art or the running back that they used after, after Cam Akers went down. Like it was, they did not want to use Henderson. And then they started to use him towards the end of the game. Uh, and he broke away a few big plays. And that is Henderson's game right there, right? Um, Henderson carried the ball 12 times, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Caught two passes on three targets for 40 yards. So he had a couple big, like, breakaway plays. And that was the excitement about Henderson. And that's what he was in college, right? He ran for over 2,000 yards because he played at Memphis and the offensive line that they had there was dominant compared to the other, you know, non-Power 5 conference defenses. And that's what I think Henderson is. Uh, I, they're not going to use him. You know, they talked all offseason about wanting to use a committee, and they've done exactly that. And I think Akers had a lot of momentum going into that game and after that first drive, and then he gets hurt, which is unfortunate because now it puts them in a situation where they're going to have to use a lot of Henderson. They're going to have to use a lot of Brown. And obviously, you're not going to feel good about using Brown coming off the pinky surgery, but also coming off just a, a very underwhelming game. And Henderson becomes a really interesting ad. I am still, I, I basically from every waiver wire pod or everything I've seen on Twitter and every article I've read, pretty much everyone has Henderson as the number one pickup on the waiver wire. I'm going to go against the grain here, and I think I would rather take Mike, Mike Davis over Henderson. 
I I just I I don't really think that Henderson's that good of a running back. Um, he does provide the the explosive plays, but there is just a good of a chance that he ends up with a Brown like stat line next week. As I have that written down. The Rams play the. Okay, let's grow up, Nicholas. The Rams play the Bills. Okay, so the Bills do have a very good defense, um, but their run defense is not anything to shy away from. I think what's more encouraging when it comes to the running backs here is just the the volume of carries the running backs are getting. And I tweeted this out yesterday. Since McVay has come over, um, I, I think they've been kind of inked as as a passing team, but I don't think that's the case. They've just been a very efficient passing team, right? Uh, you go back to 2017, the first year under McVay. They threw the ball on about 56% of their plays, which was 23rd in the NFL. The next year, around the same thing, 24th in the NFL. Last year, they threw the ball on 62% of their plays, which was eighth in the NFL. That's not what McVay wants. That's a big jump up from the first two years where they were super successful. What happened last year is that they realized that they had Todd Gurley and they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't run the offense through him anymore. So they needed to pass the ball a little bit more. And then through two weeks in 2020, they have thrown the ball on 43.2% of their plays. Dead last, by far and away, dead last in the NFL. Last year, Baltimore Ravens threw the ball on like 47% of their plays, which was last in the NFL. And this is like a whole 5% lower. So you could see what they're trying to do this year. And it is run the ball and it is run the ball a lot, which is why I was kind of excited about Akers. But with Henderson out, I mean, uh, with, with, with Akers out, most likely, and Henderson going against the Buffalo Bills, I'm not going to get overly excited about it because this is an, a game where Malcolm Brown could take 15 to 17 carries again and, and Darrell Henderson maybe 11 to 12. Um, and if he, if he doesn't bust out a big play, like you're probably looking at a disappointing stat line. But he definitely is in line to take over the number two duties behind Akers uh, over Malcolm Brown, in my opinion. So we'll see. He's just a smaller guy, and I, I think they're just very, very, very set on using a committee. And, you know, to, the, to their to their credit, like they, they probably should, given the skill sets, the differing skill sets of – the three running backs they have. Brown's more of like an in-between the tackles, grinder, pound it, wear down the defense. Henderson is the, you know, every other play, like kind of explosive guy that can give you those big chunks if if, if, if you're looking for that on offense. So um, I'm not, I'm not, he, he's like McKinnon for me where he's uh, he's a flex play, but I'm not getting excited about throwing him into my RB2 slot. Oh, okay. Uh, take a shot if you heard this before. Will Fuller, hamstring injury. We're all drunk. We're all blacked out. Fair. I haven't really seen much updates on Will Fuller other than we know that he has a, the hamstring injury. So with Will Fuller, you know, the problem with the problem with Will Fuller was like everyone started to get really hyped up on him this year. And they're all like, you can't predict injuries. You have no idea if he's going to get hurt. And then like everyone who knows anything about injuries, like doctors and shit, were like, well, the best predictor of injuries is previous injuries. And uh, if you have a lot of hamstring injuries, you're more likely to re-injure your hamstring. And then all the people that were like, no, Will Fuller's the best are like, you can't take a victory lap because no one knew that he was going to get injured. And it's like, eh, I kind of fucking knew that. And then Will Fuller gets injured. And he has zero targets, zero catches, zero yards, zero touchdowns, zero fucking anything for your fantasy team. Threw him in my E-Town get-down lineup, and I still fucking smashed the number one place team, Steen. And now I take over as the first. Where's the chain? Where's the fucking chain? Yes, yeah, Steve. Yeah, one chains. Bench. Uh, so Will Fuller's out. 
for the time being. We'll see if he tries to suit up, but this is like obviously extremely concerning for the rest of the year. He, this is something that could linger, and this is something that could just cause him to fucking continue to put up three for 23 games and then a fucking three for 123 game. And Will Fuller is going to be a fucking problem for the rest of the year. Brandon Cooks, though, finally bike, it looks like, from his hamstring injury, and he paced the team in targets. So if someone dropped him in your league, someone's dumb enough to drop him in your league, he's the pickup now because he becomes the number one target for a guy like Deshaun Watson. That is something that you want to have. So uh, I'm very concerned about Will Fuller, not because the the severity of the injury, but just who Will Fuller is and what this will do to the rest of the season outlook for him. Sammy Watkins got killed, literally murdered on the field. Concussion. Will he be out next week? I don't know. Stay tuned for concussion protocol stuff. Nicole Hardman obviously gets the bump up because now he gets on the field. My problem with Miko Hardman is just like all offseason people are like, yeah, Miko Hardman, this is his year. And like we didn't hear anything out of the Chiefs camp about how he was going to be playing over Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson. And then the season starts and lo and behold, he's not playing over Demarcus Robinson or Sammy Watkins. So this Miko Hardman is just a complete projection play out of people's pure emotions. Like nothing logically or statistically tells us that Miko Hardman will be a good player in fantasy football. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with Sammy Watkins. Miko Hartman's not a guy I'm like going crazy to try to fucking pick up, but, but, but I was going to say you could probably do worse, but like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if you could, it's going to be, it's a tough matchup against the, the Ravens Monday night football. We will be live streaming fade the public live from the headquarters next Monday night game of the year chiefs versus Ravens. We will be downstairs live streaming on YouTube. We're going to fucking order a whole lot of food. We're going to get a whole lot of drinks. We're going to play some drinking games throughout it. So come get some drinks, tuck your shirts in, get wasted with us. Next Monday night, put on your calendars, Sharpie it on your hand, tattoo it on your forearm. I don't give a shit. Just remember to come join us Monday night. Now we have a lot of quarterbacks injured. So if you faded quarterbacks in Superflex Leagues, this is low-key a good thing for you, unless like you faded them and you ended up with Jimmy G, Drew Locke, and Tyrod Taylor. Jimmy G's got the high ankle sprain. He's going to miss it. Nick Mullins comes in. I think Nick Mullins is a serviceable quarterback, but he has kind of the same problems that Jimmy G has in that they have a lack of weapons, right? So they're going to be without Mulsert, who like can add an 80-yard receiving touchdown to the line at any point. George Kittle, the knee, uh, they expect him to play. So I expect George Kittle to play based on everything we've heard. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. Ayuk is back on the field, so that's obviously an upgrade. Uh, Debo Samuel's on the IR until at least the end of week three. Uh, so I'm not really confident in Nick Mullins. The guy I do like the most out of all these backup quarterbacks would be uh, Justin Herbert, of course, came out and fucking did his thing. He, he slanged his dick all over KC. Deserved to win that game, but terrible fucking coaching by Anthony Lynn, giving the ball back to Mahomes and OT. Like, what the fuck are you thinking? How, how is that the optimal strategy? In what fucking magic eight ball do you shake where it says give the ball to the best player on the fucking planet? is optimal strategy number one. Makes no Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. No sense to me. So they lose the game, but Herbert looks fucking good, man. Herbert looks good. Obviously made some rookie mistakes, but he was literally told he was going to start like 17 seconds before the game kicked off. 
Tyrod Taylor had some chest uh, pain. Some, something happened in practice with his ribs, I believe, or his chest, and they gave him a shot pregame. And I think he had some sort of, I don't know if it was an allergic reaction, but he had a bad reaction to the shot, which gave him breathing complications. And that's what forced Herbert onto the field. Anthony Lynn, another fucking fireable offense, came out and said, if Tyrod Taylor is 100, Tyrod Taylor stinks. He adds no juice to this offense. You could just, there was, there was energy, there was juice, there was mojo with Herbert in the lineup, man. And I really, really hope that when he says, if Tyrod Taylor is 100%, he's our starting quarterback, that it means... You know, Tyrod Taylor is going to be like 80 to 95% for a long time. So Herbert's a guy who's a must-add in Superflex Leagues if he's on the wire right now. Um, he gave some life to Keenan Allen. He gave some life to Austin Eckler, thank God. And we can talk about Josh Kelly, man. Josh Kelly is still only owned, I think, in like 40% of Yahoo leagues. 23 carries is fucking obnoxious. There's no reason to give him 23 carries other than, I mean, they were trying to grind clock and... Um, I can understand why, because you're not trying to get Austin. That's how Austin Eckler gets hurt. That's how the 205-pound running back gets hurt, by pounding the rock up the middle. So while I, I am a little bit upset as an Eckler owner, like 20 if we're just going to keep giving Austin Eckler 20 touches, he's going to be a very fucking good fantasy running back. I'm not worried about Eckler. And with Herbert in the lineup, hopefully, uh, that's great for Eckler. So with Josh Kelly, I mean, he did exactly what they wanted him to do. Like, that is a perfect example of being like a good real-life NFL player. The numbers weren't really... I mean, the volume was there, but the efficiency wasn't there. He was averaging like 2.7, 2.9 yards per carry or some shit. He was getting a lot of short yardage work, like third and one, third and two, right? You don't typically bust those out for seven or eight-yard runs. You try to get the one or two yards and help your team. That's what Josh Kelly did. So he's looking like a great player for the for the Chargers. Um, next week, in particular, they get the cinch... Nope, I think I'm lying again. Should probably learn the matchups, huh? Uh, they get the Panthers, which is literally just a run funnel team. Uh, they're they're a fucking everything funnel team, but teams have been absolutely dominating on the ground against the Panthers. So this is a this is this is a realistic week where I would have a lot of um, confidence starting Josh Kelly because he's probably going to get fifteen to twenty touches again. He's he is playing exactly that Melvin Gordon role with a lot with a lot less electricity, a lot less juice, um, but the volume is going to be there. So against the Panthers weak run defense josh kelly can really be fired up with confidence in the flex play obviously you love austin eckler against the weak panthers defense as well um so the other quarterback to talk about and we'll actually start with his wide receiver Cortland sutton gonna be out for the year so rip to Cortland sutton man feel bad for, for for him really do he was uh this was gonna be a big breakout year for him he was gonna really cement himself as one of the true alphas in the league i believe but we have Cortland sutton out for the year we have Drew Locke with a rotator cuff strain, and it's likely going to sideline him. I've heard anything from like two to eight weeks, but I think minimum he's going to be out for about three weeks, probably going to be more than that. Now, Jeff Driscoll comes in. I fucking love Jeff Driscoll, bro. I really, really think he's one of the most underrated backup quarterbacks in the league. Uh, Driscoll targeted Jerry Judy a lot. I, I think he targeted him like seven times once he came into the game. And I think Jerry Judy will be very, very usable. I think Judy inserts himself as like the alpha in this passing game with Cortland Sutton out. And going back to Driscoll, I think Driscoll's a, a pretty good add in Superflex Leagues, man. Uh, last year, if you remember in Detroit, he started and played three games. Super effective in fantasy because he averaged over 50 rushing yards per game on the ground as the quarterback and threw for over 200 yards in all three contests. So he was, he was wildly... I remember streaming him in one of my dynasty leagues and he like low-key... Got me a couple big wins that like pushed me into the playoffs and made, and helped me make a run. So I'm picking up Jeff Driscoll as like the streaming quarterback if I need one in Superflex. 
And uh, he came in on Sunday, and he looked like he looked. I mean, he didn't look great, but like he threw for over 250 yards against the Pittsburgh offense in Pittsburgh. Like that is not an easy thing to do with you know just the starting quarterback getting hurt and you just getting thrown on the fucking field. Their next five games: <coughs> Tampa Bay, Jets. Tampa Bay, you can't run against, so you have to throw the ball. The Jets, you literally do whatever the fuck you want against. The Pats, uh, I think. I, I think the Pats are a very good defense, obviously, but they're you know we've we've seen a few weeks in now that they're not they're not the elite Pats defense that we came accustomed to seeing last year, right? We have this idea in our mind of what the first eight weeks of the season were last year with the Pats, and they're not that defense anymore. While they still have a ton of really good skill players, I think there was a few opt outs, there was a few you know X Y Zs that happened, and um, not a team that they're not going to try to throw the ball against. We'll put it that way. After the Pats, they get the Dolphins, and they get the Chiefs. So I think like a five-game window, we're going to see good performances out of Jeff Driscoll. It might not look good in real life. Just don't watch the fucking game. Don't watch the fucking game. Look at the box score afterwards. And I think Jerry Judy is going to be very, 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 very involved. And then uh, after those five games, you get a week eight bye. And I think it probably makes sense that Drew Locke would come back after that week eight bye, depending on how rehab's going and everything. Um, KJ Hamler, the really, 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 really speedy rookie wide receiver is a good pickup in deeper leagues. Uh, he saw seven targets. It was his debut game coming off a pretty severe hamstring injury. So that was good to see. I think he makes a little bit of sense given that there's going to be targets up for grabs in this offense. Noah Fance looking like an absolute fucking animal. Um, looking like a great late round tight end target if you took him. But there's, there's some positives fantasy wise to take away from Denver. I think you'll be able to start Driscoll. I think you'll be able to start Jerry Judy, and of course, he'll be able to start Melvin Gordon as long as Philip Lindsay is sidelined. Sterling Shepard dealing with turf toe. I mean, uh, Darius Slayton's already owned everywhere. Golden Tate is whatever the fuck Golden Tate is, even though he's probably a good pickup if he's available because he's going to be forced into like eight targets a game, uh, especially with Saquon Barkley out. And Paris Campbell, uh, serious knee injury. I believe he avoided the ACL, but he's going to be out for a long time. Hilton is looking like whatever Hilton's looking exactly like you kind of expect a fucking 30 year old wide receiver to look like uh but with Jack Doyle out for who knows who how long like Mo Ali Cox had a good game he's definitely not someone I'm about to be relying on but but listen I would say like I'm not dropping Naeem Hines yet I might actually play him this week I might play Naeem Hines this week uh I'm not gonna like it but we're going against the Jets defense who the Jets defense I know they got absolutely trounced last week but for the most part, they're a team that is tough against the run, so they can make things hard for Jonathan Taylor, and they're abysmal against the pass. So we could see things kind of skew back to the passing game a little bit and getting Naeem Hines a lot more involved. And again, like Paris Campbell out could open up some more slot routes for a guy like Naeem Hines. So tough shit for Paris Campbell. Not tough shit for Miles motherfucking Sanders, baby. 20 carries, 7 targets, 27 opportunities. 27 opportunities. The offense looks sloppy, but God damn it, I will take 27 opportunities. Are you shitting me? We're over the hamstring injury, baby. We are over it. We're good. We got the RB1 we drafted. Okay? 95 rushing yards and a tug. 36 receiving yards. Seven fucking targets. Played on 75% of the third down snaps. Okay? That's what we were worried about. What happens when we get in the two-minute, four-minute, third down drills? Does Boston Scott come on the field? Nope! Nope. Nope. Don't look at me. I said no. Boston Scott, you could stay outside my fucking window. Miles Sanders, you can come into the HQ anytime you fucking want. I'm old enough to remember when this was going to be a committee. I'm old enough Ugh. to be young and naive again. What I would do. What I would do. You got Miles Sanders' bike. The RB1 you drafted, baby. Oh. 
Who you didn't get bike is Mr. Ronald Jones. Mr. Ronald Jones versus Atlanta Fournette. Jones looked pretty good to start against the Carolina Panthers run D, which is not something to ride home about. He had the early touchdown. But in every quarter after the first quarter, Fournette led Ronald Jones in snaps. And then he had that touchdown run at the end of the game to ice that shit away. It was cold. It was cold. That's what Fournette brings to the game, man. Uh, Uncle Lenny ended up outsnapping Rojo 26 to 21. He had 12 routes compared to Rojo's 10. 12 carries compared to Rojo's 7. 5 targets compared to Rojo's 2. This was always the problem with Rojo uh, once Leonard Fournette came over. The leash was just so small. And listen, I talked a whole lot of shit about Fournette being on the Jaguars in the preseason. Uh, when he moved over to the Bucks, my pre-draft rankings, I had Leonard Fournette above Rojo. I think Rojo dropped down to like my RB30 and Rojo uh, and uh, Fournette was up at RB22 or 23. And it ain't looking good for the Rojo drafters. Not at all, which is unfortunate because I had two redraft leagues that drafted a week before Fournette got signed with the Bucks, And now he's looking like fucking not a snack. Very unfortunate. So I think we're going to slowly see Fournette take more and more and more of a role until he becomes the guy there. Uh, we'll have to see like what that actually entails, because while I do think they want to use one guy, I feel like Bruce Arians is going to keep using a committee. Like LaShawn McCoy has been running a lot of routes. That's that's like low-key not being talked about. He ran like 22 routes in, in game one, in week one. Um, I'm not really sure actually how many he ran. I'm going to pull it up for you all right now. I'm going to give you the fucking big facts on demand. Skirt! Whoa! Okay, everybody out there in the chat was good. Was good. Uh, if you're enjoying the video, which I can't imagine you really are, but if you somehow did, can you hit the button that looks like that? Really helps me out. Really helps YouTube out. Let y'all know that you fuck with my stuff. What, what was I even looking up? Oh, uh, LaShawn McCoy. Also, for yeah, for for those of you guys that are, uh, I get a lot of questions like, where do I find these numbers? These the routes run and stuff like that is on. Um, you can find it on PlayerProfiler.com, but they tend to put it up a couple days after they they upload their advanced analytics and advanced metrics, like a few days after the NFL season or the NFL weekend finishes. So like usually Wednesday, Thursday, PFF usually has them. Uh, very, very early, like by the next day. So he did, oh, he did not play after playing 25 snaps in week one. He only played 11 in week two, two out wide, nine from the backfield. So maybe he is not a thing. Um, and I mean, I guess they weren't really trailing in week two at all. So Fournette, yeah, if, if you have Fournette, you have to be super, 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 super happy about it. I'm not, I'm not about to say he's going to get like a 60 to 70% opportunity share immediately, but within a couple weeks, that that will probably be the case. He just, he brings that aspect to the game. Like I would say they're, Fournette's probably a better pass catcher. Um, but he brings that breakaway run like we saw at the end of the game, which like Rojo really doesn't. Rojo does bring some kind of toughness, man. He he looks good on some runs, and I do think he'll be like a breather back, but that ain't what you fucking drafted him to be in the, in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. So disappointing. Uh, you know who's not fucking disappointing, though? Deontay Johnson in Pittsburgh, man. 31% target share there, and he's looking like the best wide receiver on that roster, man. Juju's fun and all, whatever, and he had his big seasons, but like he's not the pure operator from the wide receiver position like he doesn't really create separations he, he's good at making gaps within zones and he's good at making plays with the ball in his hands but like if you need a true alpha if you need a guy to trust to throw the ball to 
it seems like Deontay Johnson is that guy for Pittsburgh, man. So you got to be super excited if you drafted him. Chase Claypool is starting to take over the wide receiver three role over James Washington. We're seeing the snaps start to even out a little bit more. A little Chase Claypool, James Washington, they're meeting halfway. So if you're uh, if you're in a deeper league and you're looking for a possible like second half-ish breakout guy, Chase Claypool's looked looked very, 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 very good. Probably not going to be fantasy startable or even might not even be usable for the entirety of the year, but. It's good to see him passing the eye test with Vandas. Uh, some wide receiver pickups. We talked a lot about the running backs. And listen, like I don't really get too excited about wide receiver pickups um, after like week one or week two because we we probably know the upside of a lot of guys. Like Russell Gage will probably be a lot of people's top pickups this week. He's getting a ton of targets in the Falcons offense. But like, listen, he's, he's at best the wide receiver three in this offense. I don't think he brings a lot of upside in games where they're just a regular Falcons team and they don't fucking stink and aren't the worst team. I'm so pissed I brought him up, actually. I didn't realize it was going to take me down this fucking tangent. Russell Gage is fine. Whatever. He's a low-end wide receiver three flex play if you're desperate. I think Michael Pittman makes a lot of sense. He, uh, he led the wide receivers in Indian snaps this weekend. Played on 92% of the snaps. And now with Paris Campbell out, with Jack Doyle out indefinitely, like Pittman was a guy that I really liked as a prospect. And he'll continue to get more more work. And this is a Jets defense that you could absolutely attack through the air. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Michael Pittman have a big game and start to slowly uh, insert himself as, you know, maybe like the 1B to TY's 1A there. Don't hate it. Don't hate it. What else we got going on? Uh, I talked briefly about Kenyon Drake as a buy. I think they've had two really tough run defenses to go against, but he's getting the opportunity. 18 in week one, 22 in week two, just hasn't really produced. Not getting a lot of work in the passing game, which is a little disappointing. But listen, like even if Chase Edmonds is a thing this year, they run so many damn snaps. They ran 82 snaps the first week. That's so many. That is so fucking many. And they ran like 77 or 78 in week two. This is a team that's going to continue to run at that fast pace, which means both running backs can have like, there are some teams that run like 56, like the Vikings, like both running backs in Arizona can have as many snaps as Dalvin Cook has weekly. Like that's how ridiculous it is. So Kenyon Drake is getting like 75% of the snaps and touches there. Um, so because the production hasn't necessarily been there, I think he's like a really, really, really good buy low candidate right now. I also like I'm, I'm not buying into the narrative that A.J. Green really looked like shit. I think it was more like Joe Burrow's passes were kind of out of control. So A.J. Green is a is a buy low for me as well. And on that same note, the only ones I chase are three ghosts. Yeah, real ones. No. Allen Robinson. Uh, we love Allen Robinson and we do love Allen Robinson and he's getting the targets. But the argument I made. All offseason with running backs, the reason I don't like guys like Todd Gurley and I don't like guys like David Johnson and fuck all y'all that went nuts after week one because I told you it was a long-term bet. We push our chips on the other side of the table because we don't think that they're going to be a thing long-term over the course of the year. Valuable volume, right? We all talk about how volume is king, but valuable volume matters, okay? And this is what we're seeing with Allen Robinson, and it's, it's, it's a problem because if he's going to get 10 targets a game, that's fantastic except he's caught every catchable target thrown his way. He has caught every catchable target thrown his way so far. That is a that is a big fact. That is a legitimate statistic. But only 44% of the targets that he's seen have been deemed catchable. And this is a problem because the Bears are 2-0, and and they're likely going to be 3-0 and after they play Atlanta because we're the fucking most trash team in the universe. And when you're undefeated, your quarterback typically does not have to worry about being benched. 
So a lot of the emphasis on the analysis this offseason was Nick Foles being the quarterback there and not throwing 44% accuracy towards Allen Robinson. Clearly not the case. So I guess the bigger picture here is like, what do we do with Allen Robinson? I mean, I'm really, I'm not looking to buy low. Like he'll have his games, sure, because he's just that fucking good. But like Mitch Trubisky is making it really, really hard for those to be anywhere near consistent. And um, you could sell him, but I don't think there's a really good price out there to sell him for. Like if you're getting good offers for him, then yeah, I'd be fine flipping Allen Robinson because we don't, I don't know if Nick Foles is ever going to take over, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm not, I'm not looking to buy low right now. Um, outside of dynasty, like dynasty, I almost think he's probably a good buy low candidate right now. Cause eventually the situation will change for him and he's not too old to the point where like, by the time it does, it's too late. Cause he's still 26. He's going to get his fucking extension eventually. And, um, and then things will pick up. But for right now, season long, like I'm definitely a little bit concerned about Allen Robinson. Quarterback pickups for the week. Uh, Ryan Tannehill still like widely available. I don't know why. He was like my, my one quarterback pickup for last week. He threw four touchdown passes, and now he gets to play Minnesota, who is legitimately looking borderline-ish Atlanta Falcons-esque. And uh, they can't stop a fucking thing on defense. They cannot do a thing on offense, and it's looking like every team is going to roll over them, which won't be the case. I mean, they have, they have enough good players where it's not going like, to keep up like this, but... I mean, Ryan Tannehill against Minnesota, I think, just makes so much sense. He's, he's widely available. And Gardner Minshew, Thursday Night Football against Miami. The kid has been absolute fucking flames. Flames straight out the dragon's mouth. Like, Gardner Minshew, for the people that hyped him up, we loved him all summer. Gotta love it. You gotta love what you're seeing out of Minshew. And he is, he's absolutely a starter, a quarterback one, week in and week out. Uh, some deep dynasty pickups of the week. Let's talk about... One of Gardner Minshew's uh, targets literally is is probably number one target right now if you if you go by the stats. Keelan Cole, Keelan Cole. Uh, this is a guy that people in Dynasty have liked for a really long time. It's just taking him like forever to fucking break out. He was amazing in college, right? That's why people liked him as a prospect. 99th, 99th percentile college dominator. Literally averaged twenty five yards per reception in college. Every single time he got thrown the ball, every single time he caught a ball, it was one quarter of the field, right? It's a pretty good fucking game plan if you're in college. If you're a college head coach, you're like, I just want to move 25 yards down the field, just throw to Cole. Did play at Kentucky Wesleyan, so that would fucking account for why that, that was the case. But if you look at the Jags wide receiver snaps and like what's happening right now in that offense, it is uh fuck, I had the tweet up here. Let me see if I could pull it on the screen for you from John Daigle or at Roto World. If you guys are not on Twitter, or at least you're not following me, y'all should do so, at Nick underscore BDGE. Follow me on the gram as well. That's just more personal shit of me being an idiot, but sometimes it's fun. Jaguars wide receiver snaps, target shares through two weeks. DJ Chark. A lot of snaps, leading them in snaps, but the target share is a bit concerning. He's actually fourth in the target share right now. Keelan Cole, number one with 18.7% of their targets. LaVisca and Chris Conley tied at 12.5. Uh, Chark has been producing despite not seeing the high target share. So I, I don't want to say it's encouraging, but it's a, it's a it's a little discouraging for the fact that like I, I think the bigger thing here to take away is not that like DJ Chark is struggling. It's it's that we projected this Jags offense to be so bad and them not to run the ball at all. But James Robinson looks like the absolute real deal. If he is on the waiver wire, he is the he is the priority pickup. I promise you that. Um, he's someone that you should honestly probably go out and see if you could like buy very, very low because he has just dominated snaps and touches back there. And this, this Jaguars offense is just running the ball and being a lot more successful doing so 
um, than most people anticipated, which is leading to a lot fewer throws from uh, Gardner Minshew overall. And they're not having to take the chances of throwing the ball downfield and, and chucking it up and seeing if they can complete some of these fucking Hail Marys to close the gap of 21 points. It's just not been the case so far, which is probably why we're seeing DJ Chark struggle a little bit. But it, I, I guess it comes down to like whether or not you believe what the Jaguars are doing is real. Um, do does their true colors start to come out? I mean, I I think we're seeing like what they really are, man. This is what happens when you put the backs up against the wall. Guys like Gardner fucking Minshew been doubted his whole life. The Tennessee Titans are no joke as a team, man, and they were in there through every fucking snap, every play, punch for punch, haymaker for haymaker. They said, "Fuck you, Derrick Henry, Gardner Minshew, greater sign." Everybody on your team took the L, but y'all get the point. Um, so Keelan Cole dynasty pickup, Darnell Mooney, Chicago Bears. Starting to outplay Anthony Miller. Uh, I talked about Anthony Miller in the ranking show on Saturday. Uh, every Saturday, I do like a live stream answering your guys' sit starts and Q&A. So make sure you got the notification bell turned on for the channel. Um, but you do have to be a Patreon member. So patreon.com slash BDGE to sign up, where I will invite you all to a live private stream. And you can ask me any sit starts you have for the week. I was concerned about Anthony Miller because even after the big week one game, he still was not running a lot of routes and he did not have a high snap share. And we saw that spill over into week two. And he uh, got a lot of heat from the head coach about dropping a red zone target. And he was pretty much in the doghouse. And then Darnell Mooney came in and he actually out snapped and out. How do you say it? Out route ran out ran route out ran more motherfucking routes on Anthony Miller. Put it that way. Okay. Um, so Darnell Mooney is a guy that should be, if he's not already picked up on your waiver wire in dynasty leagues, he should absolutely, uh, be stashed somewhere because he could very well take over as the wide receiver two in this offense, because it does not look like it's going to be, um, Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney caught all three of his targets, 36 yards and a touchdown. David Montgomery looked really fucking good too, man. 16 for 82. Also caught three balls, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Like, he is fully back from his groin injury, obviously. If you own David Montgomery, like, you've got to be very – obviously, it's the Giants' defense. There are going to be a lot of games where he just carries the ball. He has, like, a Todd Gurley performance where he goes, like, 21 for 70 or whatever. Um, but they get the Falcons next week. They get the Colts. They get the Buccaneers. They get the Panthers. So, a little good with a little bad. Uh, David Montgomery looks like a pretty good locked and loaded RB2 for the remainder of the season. What else do we got? What else do we want to talk about? I think that's really all I had for the waiver wire and, like, recap article of – the week. Let me let me jump into some of the comments and 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 shut not. What up? What up? What up? How is Freeman useless? Barkley got hurt. Freeman's Freeman's been washed. Yeah, and now he's going to be in a shit offense. Not shit offense, but behind a shitty offensive line, it's not going to score a lot. I ain't I ain't about it. Oh, Nikhil Harry. We can talk about Nikhil Harry. Um. So Nikhil Harry, obviously, it was, it was a nice showing in week two, and he was one of two. Him and Julian Edelman were the only two wide receivers to get targeted in week one. Um, so Nikhil Harry has a nice target share. So a lot, I think he went eight for 72. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant that, like, Nikhil Harry is, like, a big play kind of guy, and I don't think we get that in this offense. Like, I don't, I don't think Cam trusts going downfield to anyone except for Julian Edelman. But in, like, a PPR, if it's full PPR, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with, with grabbing Nikhil Harry. But I think more often than not, we're going to get, like, you know, five for 45 games out of Nikhil Harry. Um, so he's not someone I'm, like, really intrigued by in standard and even, like, half PPR leagues. 
Also, James White was not on the field for this one. So, uh, Nikhil Harry, it's like good to see. I, I think this is almost perfect because they're getting to kind of like slowly progress him along. Um, slowly progress him along. Oh, guys, no super chats, please. And um, Um, so I think it, it works for, I think it works for him as a prospect and I'm excited to see what they do, but I, I'm not expecting Hill Harry to really like continue this kind of, uh, game. And like, this is the thing about like week two, right? Like we start to overreact like week one, everyone was like, wow, Edelman looks washed. Edelman looks done. And now he has this game. And it's like, you need at least two weeks to balance the spectrums of shit, right? Like week one, if you have a bad game. And then you have a good game week two, you're coming off week two and you're feeling good about it. But if it's vice versa, you're coming off week two and you're feeling bad about it. So it's like Miles Gaskin. I'm listen, I'm just not, I'm just not going to suggest that you guys spend a lot of money on the Dolphins running back. Okay. I'm just not going to spend a lot. I'm not going to spend time saying that you need sure he's getting some volume, but this is just an offense that I don't want. I don't need volume from. Like I don't want this. Okay. Uh, a couple things I tweeted out yesterday that I think would actually be kind of fun to bring up right now. So I said, redrafting a 2020 rookie draft today. So for those of y'all that had any rookie drafts this summer, this is how I would probably do my top 12 right now. Jonathan Taylor won. The reason I had CEH over him was because I thought Marlon Mack was obviously going to hinder his rookie year, which would have been the case, and then Mack got hurt. So if I was redrafting it right now, if I was redrafting a rookie draft right now, it'd be JT, CEH. I'd still roll with my boy DeAndre Swift at three, J.K. Dobbins four, Joe Burrow, five. This is super flex. Joe Burrow, five. Uh, you can make the case Burrow over Swift and Dobbins based on how he's played so far. Uh, CeeDee Lamb at six. Tua at seven. Justin Herbert at eight. Cam Akers at nine. Jerry Judy at 10. I think after tweeting that, the one thing I would probably reverse is putting Judy over Akers. So maybe Judy at nine. Akers at 10. Antonio Gibson, 11. Jalen Rager, 12. And then I have Rugg, Chenault, and Kelly kind of right outside that where I think you can argue them into that 11-12 range if you wanted to. And then redrafting a 2020 season long today. My first round. Number one pick. Zeke, Kamara, Henry, Jay Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, CEH, Dalvin, Miles Sanders, Devontae Adams. 11-12, 13 gets dicey. I think you could probably go with Hopkins, Chris Carson, Travis Kelsey, or Eddie Lacy. Any of those four. I'm mixing absolutely not in my 12. No. There's no fucking chance. I'm, didn't you learn your lesson already? Imagine using your first round pick on Joe Mixon and then wanting to still do that again right now. Absolutely fucking not. Absolutely motherfucking not. Lamb's not in my doghouse. I have him at six overall in rookie drafts. Um... Speak on Mixon, please. Guys, I've been speaking the same shit on Mixon for four months. Good running back, but talent is not the only thing that matters in fantasy football. 
Like they've showed us every single week, week in, week out, years that they're not going to use him the way you want him to be used, guys. I'm sorry. Like he'll bounce back. Sure, he'll have a couple games where he goes 20 for 125 and a touchdown. Like anyone picked in the top 20 better have a couple games like that. But like, guys, this is it. As long as Geo is there, Mixon's not the two-minute drill guy. He's not the four-minute drill guy. and He's going to run less routes than he is. I'm sorry. Like, hold on to him if you want, but, like, don't expect, like, people that were like, he has top five upside. He doesn't. Like, the ceiling's just not there. Yeah, make sure you uh, sign up for the newsletter, y'all. Is on bigdogsfantasy.com. Every, we switch it to Tuesday morning so we can give you guys the recaps of the E-Town Get Down League. <sighs> Nick, who had a worse week, you, Snacks, or Saquon? I had a great fucking week. My fantasy teams are... My redraft leagues, I'm 2-0 and in all three leagues. My dynasty league, I'm 2-0 I'm, I'm in all my redraft leagues, in all of my dynasty leagues, and I'm 1-1 one one in Scott Fishbowl. Okay. Great fucking weekend for me. Now, it wasn't a bad weekend because the Falcons lost. Like I'm telling you, when I say I go into the year with zero fucking expectations about the Atlanta Falcons... That's not hyperbole. I literally think we're going to fucking blow every year. And every time people are like, don't sleep on the Atlanta fucking Falcons. I'm like, bitch, I've been taking a power nap for the last three years and I've slept soundly. Okay. I'll sleep all the fuck I want on the Atlanta Falcons. We stink. We stink. So it doesn't phase me. It doesn't concern me. <sighs> Clearly I'm fucking concerned. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Did 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 uh, Devonta Freeman sign with the Giants? Is that a thing? I'm getting I'm getting some tweets from from Giants Twitter. Giants have agreed to terms with Devonta Freeman. NFL Network's Mike Garofalo reports that provided Freeman passes his COVID nineteen test and physical, he will be a Giant. Playing tough to get all offseason after being released by the Falcons, twenty eight year old Freeman has finally found the right opportunity. Conditioning will be an issue early on, but he should immediately jump to the front of the line in the Giants committee. Deion Lewis will be the number two with Wayne Gallman being an afterthought. Lewis is probably still the preferred week three play with Freeman taking over afterward. A three down player Freeman provided consistently diminishing returns as injuries seem to take their toll in Atlanta. I would not be surprised if he maxes out as more of a flex than an RB2 in New York, especially considering how bad most Giants. Yeah, no. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be um, objective about this. I I have I said this last offseason, not this previous one, not this like previous June, July, August. Freeman was one of my biggest fades going into 2019. So last fucking summer. Freeman was too good for too long given his type of play and body size. He just laid it like as a Falcons fan, I love him for those first couple of years he gave us. But at 205 pounds, when you run the way he does, you start to deteriorate. And we saw it really rapidly. And he's dealt with too many foot, ankle, knee, groin, hip issues. That it was, it was the way he runs. He runs like he's like he's fucking Derrick Henry. Um, but it's like if you if you chewed off one of Derrick Henry's legs, like that's so much about the Freeman ways. So it becomes a problem. There, what's going to happen with Devonta Freeman is like they're going to start forcing him volume most likely, and I don't think he'll be efficient whatsoever on it. Uh, he's just he's not the same back he was at any point, um, and I think we saw that last year. And he had like somewhat of, of a few okay weeks in fantasy, 
because of the receiving line where they threw the ball because the Atlanta Falcons throw the ball 92 times a game and Freeman kind of like rolled his way into eight, nine targets a game. I just don't imagine that will be the case in New York. Um, they, they, I mean, they didn't throw to Barkley enough to, to begin with. So I don't understand why we think that Devonta Freeman has a hundred percent opportunity share there when Deion Lewis is probably a better pass catcher at this point. So Devonta Freeman, I'm not spending money on him. Like if you want to throw five bucks on him, you want to throw 10 bucks on him, something like that. That's probably the max I would throw onto him. But like they said, conditioning is going to be a, a concern. Um, he's not like, he's not someone I would consider a, a non-health risk. Yeah. He's been sitting for a while, but like that could also play. I mean, we say, look how many fucking players are getting injured right now. Like he is a prime candidate to probably get injured going into the year, not being conditioned and thrown into uh, too heavy of a workload immediately. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if like all of the running backs just get eight touches or eight to 10 touches per game. And like Deion Lewis probably takes the pass catching work. Maybe Freeman splits the goal line work with Gallman. So like, listen, I'm not excited about Devonta Freeman. Those are my, my unencumbered, my unencumbered, uncucumbered, Bullshit ass pieces of advice. Weep. Yes, we're waiting on DeAndre Swift. I know it doesn't seem like it, guys. Um, I know it does not seem like it, but he's led the backfield in snaps in both weeks. This Detroit defense can't stop a fucking thing, so they're going to continue to pass the ball on offense a lot. And Swift, you know, like I said, I was like, I think he could be a theoretic. I think he could play the theoretic role and start to get more of a ground game going and uh yeah i mean the the lack of the lack of rushes is a little bit concerning and i don't i can't like sit here and promise you that those are going to start going up like right now but um yeah you're i'm holding on to swift i'm holding on to swift i think he's going to continue to put up i think he's going to continue to put up like eight to ten half pbr fantasy points a week which is you know good enough for like a uh an okay flex play Okay. Uh, I love y'all. I really, really do. And I wish I can answer all of your questions. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, my time is of the essence in season stuff is very, very tough for me to stay on top of because it's so time sensitive, which is why, um, I hope if you are really, 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 uh, a supporter, you can obviously go sign on a Patreon, which is where I really try to at least answer all of the sit star questions that you have or trade or waiver wire or fucking life advice y'all need i don't know why you'd ever take life advice from a guy wearing a hoodie and a cutoff a cutoff hoodie with a fucking chain on and i literally pick up rubber bands off the ground and wear them as like a watch oh todd Gurley, what should i do with him you shouldn't have drafted him i'll see y'all on tomorrow's bunk bed breakdown love y'all peace You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.